My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance. Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog back with a hefty slab of inspiration and information. You know, everyone loves a comeback story. You know, to see someone exhibit grit, determination, resolve, resilience, and to get up and knock adversity on its rear end. Someone who is so focused on succeeding that they pick themselves up after failing or defeat and forge forward until they reach the mountaintop. No matter the obstacle, they will not be deterred. And that brings me to my guest today, who is Bernardo de la Vega. Now, Bernardo is a tech serial entrepreneur who has built and sold two seven-figure companies. His new company, the Fiesta app, can be described as TikTok for podcasts, which integrates with Alexa and Google Home, in which he's currently growth hacking with content marketing and voice technology. Now, Bernardo has a very unique story. As he used to work in corporate America, and in 2013, made the switch to entrepreneur, in which at first he went broke and lived out of a hostel for five months. Now, while Bernardo was completely down and out, he was broke, he, but he was still optimistic about becoming successful. And after trying a number of different business models in the internet marketing space, he went on to build a couple of companies making tens of millions of dollars with e-commerce. And just a little fun fact about Bernardo, he was actually a professional salsa dancer for one year and traveled all over Europe before becoming an entrepreneur. Bernardo, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the One Broken Cog podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. You know, I got to ask you, Bernardo, what's the key to becoming a great salsa dancer? I could definitely use some tips. Oh, <laughs> a pr practice, you know, a lot of, a lot of practice and, and the sort of passion for it. And even, even that, I don't know if that's necessary. I mean, I, I saw a whole lot of people, you know, who have passion and, and, uh, and dedicate a lot of time, but they were not, they, they didn't get to that kind of like that professional level. So, you know, I would say again, the you know, passion, um, dedication and maybe just really kind of like almost like really reverse engineering what is it exactly that you know great dancers do and and almost like being analytical just like you as if you do in business right just being analytical and almost like obsessed about improving for sure so is it important to have really great rhythm and really great hip movement yeah yeah the the rhythm is obviously rather, rather certainly uh, important mm -hmm. and the ladies love it right Oh, yeah, they uh, certainly do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. I got to give it to you. So, Bernardo, even though you were like kind of the king of salsa, you were tearing it up all over the, the salsa circuit here, the inner entrepreneur in you couldn't be denied, right? You went and you pursued your dream. I'd love for mm -hmm. you to maybe share the moment when you made that decision to leave corporate America and become an entrepreneur, maybe what the deciding factor was. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the deciding factor was was certainly – you know, me being very like fed up with, uh, you know, working in finance and, and just, I, I just felt like I was one more of, you know, this, this massive sort of company. Cause I used to do, you know, consulting for, uh, like big banks, bank of America and, 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 uh, and Wachovia at that time in Wells Fargo. And I, you know, you, you, there comes a time where you feel like you're just one more in this sort of massive, massive sort of company and, and some of this sort of financial service consulting can be extremely, extremely tedious. So I was just not enjoying it. And, uh, you know, I, I, the way I like to look at it is there's a quote by Gary Vee where he says, there's something about 
you know, entrepreneurship and sort of the way about going about life, right? But the biggest thing is you can't complain about something unless you do something about it. And so my way of complaining about my nine to five job, which I hated, was to start my own company, right? And at first, yeah, you know, I, I really, really struggled. And so that's, that's the biggest thing, right? And so whenever right now I catch myself, you know, complaining about so anything, it's you can't complain about anything or, or about something unless you're doing something about it. So every new company I start, every new sort of like endeavor, every new thing is, some, you know, many times like a, a result of kind of me complaining about something. For a while, when I had my Amazon business, you know, it was, it was very profitable, but I was always complaining because I felt like, okay, you know, they're, um, you know, the, the Amazon sellers are, are cheating and Amazon is doing this and Amazon keeps blocking me and all these different things about sort of, you know, being at the mercy of Amazon. And now, you know, I've, I've, uh, I recently sold my, my, uh, my second uh, e-commerce company, but also, you know, now the, the big thing about Amazon is you get a lot of different, well, like Amazon is launching all their, their own brands. So my way of complaining about that is, is starting a tech company. And I'm also right now about to launch a media company actually in Mexico uh, around, around soccer, which also, you know, uh, combines like media and tech. So, so yeah, you know, I, I would say that's the, that's the biggest thing that really looking at what you like to do. And the moment you feel like you're complaining about something as an entrepreneur, you either got to do something about it and go all in or pivot around it. But there's no real complaining in entrepreneurship. There's only pivoting and, uh, and taking action for sure. No, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So you're motivated. You had that vision. You took that action, which is fantastic. That first step, which is always the hardest. What led to you becoming, and you know, you were broken in the hostel, right? It was a big part of who you are in your journey. Uh, what happened? Was it a mistake that you made? Was it you were a victim of, of the industry or the times? What led you to that situation? Yeah, well, part of it was, so I was working in financial service consulting and then uh, my, um, my dance partner and I, we left for Europe. So I danced in a salsa professional in Europe for 11 months. Um, so, and that was a phenomenal experience, but at the same time, we, we, uh, we were getting paid, but because we were, you know, we were only supposed to stay there three months after that, you know, starting well, month four, we were kind of like illegal there. Right. Uh, so we had to pay a little bit extra, you know, for rent and to rent a car and all these uh, sort of extra expenses. So anyway, I come back and I said, I don't want to go back into uh, financial service consulting. And I'm just going to figure out this, this internet marketing because I saw a friend saying, I'm making money online. And he said, I, I just made $10,000 um, last month working from home. And that to me sounded really, really good, you know, from somebody who really, really didn't want to go back to corporate America and just do the, the nine to five, right? So I was like, well, that sounds really good. Let me, let me take a stab at it. So, you know, part of it was definitely me going at it like all in which was, you know, buying all these courses. I, you know, I bought a YouTube course and I bought a blogging course and I bought, you know, all these like how to make money online courses, all sorts of different courses. And, and, and I was learning a lot. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, you know, the, the, the little money that I had left, uh, you know, after, you know, this, this uh, adventure in, in Europe, where again, we were getting paid, but, you know, the, our expenses were, were higher because of, uh, you know, us being there you know, illegally for, for all these, all these months, we had to do a whole lot of things sort of like under the table in terms, again, in terms of a rent. So, you know, the, what we did was, uh, well, what I did for the, for the entrepreneurship part was 
I bought all these courses. And then eventually I kind of like started getting, getting better and better as I, as I, you know, as I continued my entrepreneur journey, but there was certainly that, that period where I struggled because I was really trying to find out, okay, what is exactly that I'm really good at with this internet marketing and where is it that I really want to pursue this? Right. And I, you know, eventually ended up going after Amazon, but I tried a whole lot of different things. Right. Um, I tried blogging. I tried, like I said, YouTube, I tried, uh, Google, uh, Google ads, which I was actually getting pretty good at those, but all sorts of different sort of uh, business models online before I kind of like came across Amazon. What do you think as far as the turning point in regards to the success that you had in e-commerce? Did you, you know, stay steadfast in your approach or did you make those real-time adjustments that led to your success? What, what do you think was that main contributor to you really knocking out of the park in e-commerce? Yeah. Um, well, one, so, so there's a few ways to, that, that people look at businesses, right? In other words, people say, okay, it's definitely the team, right? It's the team that makes the, the, the business. And there's other people, it's like, no, 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 it's the, it's the, it's the idea, it's the product itself. Uh, and then there's other people that say, no, no, it's the market, right? So you can have like this awesome idea, uh, but if the market is not, is not right, then it's, you're going to struggle or you can have so different people. A lot of you know, investors say oh, it's definitely the team, it's definitely a team. But there's some investors, uh, some big investors that say, no, it's the market. Um, and I actually think it's the market, uh, you know, for example, when it comes to real estate, you know, a lot of people say, you know, the real estate has, it's the area where there's the most, um, the most amount of, uh, not so smart, uh, wealthy people, right? Because it's, it's kind of like this very kind of like sort of established industry. And, uh, you know, you, you don't have to do that much in real estate, as long as you kind of like you, 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 you hit it off with a sort of like a few um, a, a few properties. Right. Um, and so with, with, with what I was doing, I definitely think that Amazon, when I got into Amazon, it was just really the right time at the right place. So we had this phenomenal, phenomenal growth. And so, you know, fast forwarding to what I do now, I definitely think as I look at all, you know, different sort of investments and different sort of areas of opportunity, there's one thing that I would definitely say, you know, give advice to the, like the audience that is listening is, Really take a look good at, at, at the market because you can have a really great idea. You can have a really great team, but I think above all, it's the market. And at that time, getting into Amazon was really sort of the right place at the right time. It's kind of like getting into Google ads like 2016 or getting into Facebook ads, you know, like 2000, uh, you know, uh, 2011 or 2012 kind of thing. So, and during that time when I got into Amazon, we were we were the some of the first ones to start selling a, a few products. We were the the very first ones, like to selling, for example, lavender oil. We were the first ones, and we really rode that wave. And we just kept launching product after product after product, just because it just made so much sense to to do that. And uh, we went on this this massive, uh, you know, product launching spree where we were launching a product almost every two weeks for sure. That's amazing. So basically timing, right? Knowing the right timing to, to get in like you did, but let's talk about the timing about getting out. Now, I know that you sold a couple of your businesses. How do you know the right time to sell and how did you evaluate the company? How did you attract buyers? Yeah. So buyers, in terms of the buyers, definitely we went uh, the, the broker route, right? So definitely went the broker route, uh, but we actually ended up selling for the beauty company. We actually ended up selling to our co-packer uh, because you know we, we were looking at you know, this private equity firm or that private equity firm. 
And then the a co-packer found, our co-packer found out and, and said, wait a minute, we didn't know you were selling, but we actually didn't want to sell them because we're like, well, if they find out that we're going to sell, maybe they'll start treating us differently, which probably wasn't the case, but we're like, well, you know, we don't really need to tell them. But then the moment they found out, they, they said, hey, we'll buy it, we'll buy it. So uh, that beauty company, we ended up selling it to our co-packer and the second one, um, the food, meeting kitchen appliance company to a small uh, public company. But in terms of the right time to get out, I would say for me, at least for me, and different people obviously do things different way. But for me is I like to do businesses that I'm extremely passionate about. And the moment I was not like absolutely in love with the business, it's kind of like the right time to be to say like, okay, let me sell this because I, I do feel that being an entrepreneur is obviously way better than having a nine to five job. But there are so many entrepreneurs that, you know, start a business and either they keep doing their business and after a while, it's kind of like the, the excitement is no longer there. The passion is not longer there. So they're just kind of going through the motions, even though it's their, their own business. And to me, that is, that, that is a pity, right? Because if you are your own boss, you should, always, you should be like super, super excited about what you are doing. And every day, if you wake up, like you have like this fire in your eyes and you're like, yes. I'm super excited about what it is I'm doing. And as an entrepreneur, you have that ability. And so when, whenever that's not the case, my advice is certainly, you know, go sell it because then, and, and sometimes, you know, people are like, well, but you have to wait for the right time. Yes, there's that, that factor. But sometimes, you know, it's a little bit of, you know, what if you, what if you sell it and then move on to something that, you know, that really piques your interest. And then within a few months, Maybe you left a little bit of money on the table, but at the same time, now you're like super, super excited about, about sort of like your new venture because you, you've learned as an entrepreneur, like you know, the th all these different things about business, and now you're a much better entrepreneur. So now you can pivot into a, a new business uh, that you're super excited about rather than kind of like staying with a, with a current business, you know, as people say, with their, kind of like their current job, either because they're just comfortable, right? Or because they're afraid to take that risk. But so to me, it's, it's as an entrepreneur, pursue what, like, what makes you really happy because I've definitely made quite, met, met quite a bit of entrepreneurs that have like that fire and you, you talk to them and you're like, wow, this is awesome what you're working on. And I can see like how you're super excited about it. And obviously I've worked, talked to all other entrepreneurs that are like, yeah, you know, this is my business. And you're like, well, it doesn't seem like you're very excited about your business. And, and so there, there's a bit, very big difference in that, uh, I would say. That, you know, I got to tell you, Bernard, that is so poignant and so profound and so many business owners really needed to hear that. It's timing. When do you get out? You have to know, like Kenny Rogers said, no one to hold them and no one to fold them. And sometimes it really is. You look at your journey. Sometimes it's not the kill. It's the thrill of the chase. It's building that business. Once you've reached that successful plateau, instead of wanting to maintain it, you're right. The fire does kind of burn out and you want to go on to the next venture and build something else from the ground up. Anything you want to talk to us about the negotiating process or was it pretty much a straightforward deal? Yeah, I mean, on the negotiating process, definitely sort of the more people involved, sort of the better, which is why we were going sort of the private uh, equity route to get a lot of, you know, get a, get a few offers. So that was definitely, you know, something that, that, we, uh, that we did. And eventually, you know, our co-packer you know, gave us, a, gave us a, a, a pretty good offer. And so, you know, within, within the sort of the negotiating, one thing I definitely would say is, Best time to sell a company, absolutely, is when things are going on the way up, which is why, you know, my previous point, because 
if you're if your sales kind of plateau then that's a problem because you know investors start asking a lot of questions and if your sales are going down then that's that's definitely like a much bigger problem uh because then you know you know the the um the buyers will try to and i've seen this you know sort of happen to you know with with other you know, sort of entrepreneurs that i've talked to where they will you know the sort of the buyers the buyers really drag it along because if the sales are going down if they drag you along then uh you know there's that opportunity to get a much much lower valuation right so they'll give you an offer and then they'll be like yeah but you know we did did the due diligence everything checks out but you know sales are now this so definitely uh you know trust in negotiation a lot of it is where your company is at and you knowing okay like if i'm going to sell this company i really need to like uh, make sure that sort of the sales are strong and that's the right time to sell it and if sales are going down then definitely either do something about it or sell it like right or like right away uh because the, i would say that's the biggest thing in terms of uh, sort of uh, uh negotiating uh, uh the sale of a company that's wonderful great insight there bernardo really appreciate that now your latest venture is fiesta app would love to hear about the app itself and how you came up with the concept yeah um so you know fiesta so i have a podcast and it's called the next big pivot and the reason i i bring that up is because fiesta is the next big pivot so i started working on fiesta last september and we launched in february and when um in the the original idea was an improved version of eventbrite where you had a list of all these different events and they were all you know physical events like at you know this location that location then covid hits as as uh, everybody knows and then the event industry got completely wiped out right so we're like uh oh well the good thing is we just launched uh and we're just you know sort of like early you know starting to get some some feedback but this allows us to pivot right we don't have this super established business model we don't have this and it is bootstrap so you know we also don't have to sort of answer to to investors so we we pivoted into this new idea which is our virtual events and within virtual events that we got to 5000 monthly active users pretty fast so it was it was basically if you combined uh, eventbrite with zoom that was what you know fiesta and had some social media elements but a virtual events with a list of all the uh, a marketplace of events but then people were saying okay well can you can we host 80 people can we host 150 people can you do breakout rooms so all these different comparisons compared to zoom that we were like okay we can go that route of going head to head with zoom or if we look at a value proposition and we just pivot a little bit we can actually do tiktok for podcasts and that's what fiesta has now become and this is definitely sort of the, the business model that we that we really like and we can charge for it you know just like people are using uh either zoom or squadcast or sendcast so they would use uh, fiesta to record the podcast and we have a really cool feature where there's a highlight button so every time for example every time you're when when you're interviewing me every time i say something really interesting you press the highlight button and it grabs the last 1 minute of the recording so then at the end of the recording you have like a you know 20 25 minute 30 minute recording and then you have two or three 1 minute video clips which are ready to go you got a caption subtitles and they're ready to uh, post on on social media to promote your podcast because there's two things in podcasting that we realized is there's two big pain points that no one has really been able to figure out one is for podcasters is promoting your podcast you figure out the audio you figure out your mic you figure out your hosting platform but how do you promote your podcast is definitely a tough situation 
because it's a lot of audio, right? So if you have an e-commerce website, you're like, okay, Facebook ads, right? But promoting a podcast is certainly harder, uh, especially most people don't have an audience. So that's on, on that side. And on, on the listener side is obviously discoverability. So we said, okay, what if we had a platform that's solved for both, which is, you know, people can create these short video clips to promote on social media and they're, they're, they're showing like the best parts of the podcast. And then on the other side, people can consume these, you know, 40, 50 second clips and, and really find the sort of the podcast that really resonates with them based on, you know, uh, a, again, a short video clip and not having to, you know, search on Google and getting you know, the list of top 20, which is, you know, you, you keep getting all the, all the top podcasts. And also, you know, whenever you look on uh, Apple or Spotify, it's very hard to find a podcast that you like based on just, you know, the sort of, you know, the, the description. But if you could, you know, listen to all, you know, short video clips, you're like, yes, that's exactly what I was looking for, you know, about how to start a business on Amazon. And this podcast talks about it. And he's talking about exactly how he did it. And, and, you know, the way he's saying it really resonates with me again from that, that clip or, you know, whatever subject you're looking at. And so that's what Fiesta is, is, is a way to solve for that, for podcasters promoting their podcast and listeners discovering new podcasts. That's such a great business model and uh, such a great concept, Bernard. I got to hand it to you. You got involved in this just at the right time. Couldn't be any better as far as the timing goes. Now, is your goal with Fiesta app to stay around a while or do you plan to sell it like your other businesses? Uh, well, we just, we just launched. So certainly, you know, I would, I would say, you know, eventually I would like to sell it, but certainly something that, um, you know, because we just launched, obviously, you know, very early to, to kind of, you know, look at that. But, um, you know, certainly been an exciting, uh, an exciting ride so far and looking forward to, to launching it. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think as far as business owners going about creating a mobile app? There's been a lot of questions recently about businesses creating their own mobile app. How would they go about doing it? What's the first step into creating something? Do you go to a developer? You know, how would you market it? What do you think as far as some best practices in regards to an app for a business? Yeah, there, there's a few things. So one is you want to have a, a good idea, of course, right? But as you have this good idea, one, you need to really identify, is there a real a massive need? And the way I would go about it, which I've learned through, through the last year, is definitely build an audience first before you start writing one line of code, build an audience first. And that's something that certainly I think I, I, I should have done. But at the same time, you know, the thing is you can go ahead and build an audience, right? And that could take you three to six months. And then like us, you launch it. So you have the audience, you start sort of coding, uh, you know, the app and then you launch it and then maybe you have to pivot. So you, you want to, you, again, you want to have the idea, you want to build an audience and you want to validate that idea as fast as possible. You know, the, the other cool thing that I would say is, is this probably the, sort of the, some of the best advice when you're building an app is building an MVP with no code tools. So don't hire developers because you can say, okay, well, I'm going to hire developers and, you know, 15, 20, $25,000 later of an MVP, you might be like, okay, that's not it. But if you, if you do no code, you could actually build a very, very inexpensive MVP. A lot of people uh, still don't, you know, they're not aware what no code is if they haven't been in sort of the, the tech, which is basically, uh, and there's a lot of different platforms. One of the sort of more, more popular ones is Bubble. So, and basically no code is, it, it's kind of like, you know, what Shopify is for e-commerce. That's how I would say 
that's what no code is for in building apps where you can, um, you know, like, you know, plug and play and build an app, a, a, a web app that gives you a really good MVP. So you can go ahead and validate the idea as soon as possible. So that's what I would say, have the idea, build the, build the, the audience, build the MVP with no code. And if all those things check out, then go ahead and start coding and uh, uh, building an app. Great stuff. Great, Bernardo. Now, you've been successful in the e-commerce space across multiple industries. What do you think are some best practices for businesses just getting involved in e-commerce in regards to maybe first steps in creating their presence and maybe getting out there in front of people and performing admirably? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is if you're doing e-commerce, you need to look at your numbers. So in other words, like your, your margins are really, really important. So if you're selling a, you know, whatever, uh, $100 product, one of the things that actually, you know, with a food, food meeting kitchen appliance company that we had that I realized until kind of like a little bit later on uh, was the numbers actually were hard to reconcile. For example, the cost of the product was still too high unless we sold this massive, massive amount of units. And then on top of that, we had shipping costs, which were high because we were selling these electric pressure cookers. And then on top of that, we had the refunds, right? So there's a lot of things there that cut, really cut into your margins. On the other hand, for example, when I had the beauty company and we had a retinol cream, that retinol cream was extremely, extremely profitable because we were selling that retinol cream for about 20, 20 $22. And it would cost us $2.50, everything, everything included, the formula, the, 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 the packaging, the 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 box so so the margins were actually phenomenal in terms of sort of the packaging is it's a small little thing so definitely looking at at your numbers is really important and then the other thing that i would say is very very key when it comes to e-commerce businesses is having a really looking at your average average customer value right and therefore being able to as soon as they they buy something those upsells within sort of the checkout. And there's some companies that do a really, really good job at that, that I would say that is a big, big key. Because if you're, if you're selling a $20 product and then you don't have any upsells, then you're selling that $20 product and maybe you're making, you know, 10 to $12 a profit. But if you, if you have those upsells and you have this really good funnel, instead of sell, selling $20, you could be selling $60. And now all of a sudden your, your, your profit for that customer is, you know, could be $35, $40. And so now instead of, you know, to acquire a customer before you're like, okay, well, I have $10 to acquire a customer. Now you have, you know, $25 to acquire a customer. So if you have $25 to acquire a customer and you're still in your, you're still making money, then you're going to beat out your competition because your competition only has $10 to acquire a customer. So that I would say is the big thing of, of really increasing your average customer value by having a really good, you know, like upsell, right? And a lot of times people don't really focus on that enough, but the companies that are doing really well have a really good average customer value because they really understand the customer and really know exactly how to position it. So it's like, hey, great, you bought this product. We're, this is awesome, but we really also recommend this other product, right? And so, you know, there's, there's, there's a very specific way on how to do that. Uh, where obviously it doesn't piss off the customer because you know you can piss people off where well I just bought one product and now you're telling me that I have to buy this other product so there's a, definitely a way to do that uh, very well uh, where you know 
the, the customer is kind of is very happy. You get them to, to spend more money and therefore that average customer value is much higher and then your numbers are really, really good. Well, that's great advice. Great advice, Bernardo. Now, should companies start their own e-commerce site first and foremost or get involved with a platform like Amazon or Alibaba or maybe they combine the two? What do you think? I would say definitely right now, I would definitely go a lot more the Shopify uh, route and, and start their own, their own brand and really, really have a lot more control. With Amazon, you don't own the customer. With Amazon, there's massive amount of competition. It's much, much harder now to launch a product because you know, those, those initial reviews are, are hard to get. Uh, and uh, you know, Amazon is launching all these different brands, which therefore you're competing against Amazon, right? So I think that's, that's a tough play. So, you know, for me, having had a lot of success within, within Amazon, but like I said, things have certainly changed. Right now, I would certainly go more the direct-to-consumer as opposed to trying to sort of like launch first on Amazon. You want to launch on Amazon, at least the way I see it, once you have some traction. No, it's great advice. And, and you mentioned reviews. It's a great topic to discuss. People basically right now live and die by them. Uh, how do you manage that? How do you get those early adopters as far as reviews? And how do you keep the train rolling and manage maybe some negative view, reviews that come in? Well, for the, uh, for the reviews, I would say, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of ways. Like the first reviews, there's a, Amazon offers a, the buying program. So that's something that you can opt into. Uh, two is... Because again, you can't give away a product in exchange for, for a review. So the other way is to, you know, start selling the product uh, and try to get, you know, an initial, a few customers run some ads and then put an insert inside that says, hey, you know, we um, thank you so much for, for buying the product. We'd love to send you another product. And, and that, you know, I would say it's a little bit uh, sort of in the, in, the, in the gray area. It's up to you, you whether you want to you wanna do it or not. But the whole thing is, on Amazon, the first 15 to 20 reviews are always the hardest to get, right? And it used to be the case that the 15, 20 reviews before were the easiest to get, right? Because you could give away a free product in exchange for a view. And then, and then you know, as, as you sell more, you get more reviews. Now, it's, I would say it's, it's the opposite. So you can, uh, there's a Vine program. There's obviously a whole lot of different softwares that say, hey, if you use our software, um, you'll get a lot of reviews. And the second product for free in exchange for, uh, uh, for, for, or like any some sort of additional product in exchange for uh, like a, an honest review. Uh, that, that's another way, although again, it's, it's a little bit of, um, you know, people can use it whether they, they, they want to or not. But like I said, launching a product right now on Amazon, not so easy. Uh, and I mean, the, the other way, definitely, that, that's why I say launch on Shopify first, which is the way I would go is, if you launch on Shopify and you own your customer base, then you launch a new product and you can say, hey, we just launched this product on Amazon. Go buy it on Amazon. But all these, these customers are already, they know your brand, they're loyal to the brand, and they're buying it at full price. They, instead of just buying it on your website, they're buying it on Amazon. And so therefore, you can start building some sort of like a presence on Amazon and get those initial uh, reviews. But it's already because you already have those customers. And even if you send them to, to Amazon to buy that one product, you can still, you still have all their contact information. So you can kind of keep selling them, selling them again. Mm -hmm. Great. Bernardo's fantastic. You have such an inspirational journey. And I know that the Fiesta app is set to take the world by storm. Any last words of wisdom or anything you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think this has been, been great. Uh, biggest thing I would say is 
don't be afraid to pivot. Uh, keep learning as an entrepreneur. And above all, find things that you absolutely love to do because that will keep you really excited about being on an entrepreneur and, and uh, you know, so always sort of pursue the next, your next idea. Wonderful. Now, very last question, Bernardo, it's just a personal question to get to know you a little bit better. You're on an island for the rest of your life. You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What are they? Oh, <laughs> um, one book. You know, my, my favorite book is the one of Elon Musk uh, because it, you know, it shows exactly how he thinks and how he learns and especially how he manages people, which is you know, very sort of like, we got to do this, we got to do this. And he, he will stop at nothing. I don't know if that's a, sort of the best book to take to an island, but that, <laughs> that is one of my favorite books just because it's Elon. I, if there's one person that I admire uh, is Elon. Uh, you know, as, 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 as we all know, he, he did PayPal and SpaceX and Tesla and the boring company. He's just, you know, just, you know, is an entrepreneur that just doesn't sit still and, you know, gets an idea and he just goes for it. So I, 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 I like to think that I'm a little bit like him, obviously in a much low, like lower scale kind of thing. But, you know, in terms of just going after and uh, sort of like different ideas and executing on that. So that's one uh, movie. I don't know. My favorite movie is Gladiator. It kind of like, uh, you know, from, from kind of old movie. But I, I just feel like that story is just so inspirational. And uh, what, was the, uh, what was the last thing? Uh, album? Album. And probably like a, one of a salsa album. There's there's a, a band. They're they're Cuban uh, because uh, you know uh, salsa, but they're called Habana de Primera. So uh, pretty unknown if you don't if you're not in the sort of the, in the salsa scene or like in the, the sort of the, the salsa world. But that would definitely be my my uh, favorite band. Uh, and one of their their any of the albums is absolutely sort of phenomenal. It keeps me very happy. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. And how do we get in touch with you? How does the audience? Go ahead and get the Fiesta app and listen to the podcast. Yeah, best way is just go to fiesta.app uh, on the website and you can sign up. Uh, we have a free trial. So any recording up to two hours is free. Uh, you can check it out. So our website, fiesta.app. And then to me, just reach out on LinkedIn or uh, Instagram. So, um, but yeah, uh, LinkedIn DM or uh, Instagram DM. Bernardo, wonderful. It's been fantastic. Good luck. Uh, let's stay in touch and uh, Godspeed. Yeah, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.